Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Ghost of Howard Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 145 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter one of A Storm of Swords. That's Jamie 1. Did A Storm of Swords trip you up again, like last week? I got it. I got... (laughs) Weirdly, was the word discussing. (laughs) Well, huh. Okay. Well, anyway, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarize what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing all right. It is hot. It is really hot outside this week. It is hot. It is hot. You know, my niece is coming from Scotland, and she was shopping for summer clothes with the temperature of 59 Fahrenheit, <laughs> which is, uh, what is that, 15 Celsius? We, so. That's going to be a big uh, bit of a culture shock for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we've hit 100 her, twice this week. Have we really hit? I, I didn't so. know we'd hit a hundred. I, th- I know we were in the way in the upper nineties, ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. I think we might have tipped a hundred a, a couple times. The day after she arrives, we dropped back down to like ninety one. I was like, "Thank you for bringing that northern Arctic blast <laughs> right. with you." <laughs> that cold front moves through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, it's one of the. It, it, it's not like um, the uh, southwestern U.S. where it's a you know. A, it's hot. Like when you're in Phoenix, it's 110 degrees, but you're not sweating because it's so dry. Here it's like a muggy, constantly sweating, miserable kind of heat. So yeah. Anyway, I played I played tennis yesterday evening, and it was it was pretty brutal playing tennis. And I um I I'd eaten kind of a big dinner. We had nut loaf for dinner, and. I made my opponent laugh when I told him I had the nut loaf sweats. <laughs> That's the vegetarian, the vegetarian version of the meat, of the meat sweats. sweats. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> nut loaf sweats. Uh, That's good. So, so my funny story from this week is, so, you know, my wife, she teaches in a school. Uh, yes, we all do. Well, they do. <laughs> you don't all teach in schools. Oh, you all know. We all I know, see. yes. We've heard many a good story about... Uh, your wife and her so class. They do they do a COVID test on the staff, but they do it they pool the COVID test. <laughs> How does that work? Three three so, person three people per test? <laughs> yes, exactly. I think it's five people per test. They I, I, I in my imagination there's a spittoon and they all hack up into <laughs> it. <laughs> That's why and it then, says spittoon in the notes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then they test the gloop that they've created. And sure enough, this week they said, oh, one of you's got COVID. We don't know which one. How is that helpful? Uh. They didn't send any of them home. They said, you better go and get a COVID test. (laughs) And and the the test was Thursday morning and they emailed them on Saturday to say, go get a COVID test. I'm like... This is stupid. Oh, that is I something. Guess, That's one way to go about it, I guess. <laughs> oh. I guess it saves money, but I mean, that's crazy. Uh, that is something. I, that reminds me of the. Uh, wait, what were you saying? My hope is she. My hope is she got to the spittoon before the COVID positive. Right. Person, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she wants to be early in that uh, <laughs> that situation. Mm-hmm. First one in, first one out. That reminds yes. me of um. A story about that happened to Ethan this week. So he went out on um, a couple dates with this girl last week, with and a lady. Um, she he he thought you know she was nice and all, but he there there were no sparks. So he was kind of kind of done with the 
You know he has to bring some of the spa. He does have to bring his own. Yeah, yes, right. Okay, okay. Uh, And so she had invited him uh, to go down to the beach. They were going to drive down to the beach, and he didn't want to go. So he (laughs) he said that he had tested positive for COVID, and she was like, "Oh shoot." I guess I better test myself too. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And she tested positive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and she goes, well, since we're both positive, we might as well just go together. (laughs) He was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So now he's going to kiss her, even though she's got COVID. (laughs) Oh, so that backfired uh, on him. <laughs> oh, that's 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 thrilled me. <laughs> oh man, kids! All right, we we've got a lot to get through. We so do. Let's get down to business. How did we leave Jamie Lannister? Well, technically, we didn't because this is his first POV. True, true. Um, but his last scene, he was being questioned in the dungeons below Riverrun by Catelyn, with Brienne of Tarth in close attendance. Cat was plying him with alcohol to loosen his tongue, and indeed it looked like he might have said too much and was about to face the consequences from Cat. Um, I guess not, since he's got a chapter. McKelly, why don't we give him a summary of this one? Okay, well, Jamie is free. Well, sort of. He's on a boat heading down the Red Fork, still bound, and accompanied by his cousin, Sir Cleos Frey, and Brienne of Tarth. They're headed for King's Landing, where Jamie's freedom is supposed to be reciprocated by Tyrion in the form of Sansa and Arya's return. Their progress has been slow since Jamie cannot row in his manacles. Cleos is rowing, but ineffectively, leaving Brienne as the primary force driving their pace down the river. Well, the flow of the river helps, and also they've got a sail. And, and an outboard motor, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie only vaguely remembers his escape from River, and he was too drunk uh, from Catelyn's wine for clear recall. He does remember being bundled into a cloak, shoved into a boat, and Cat commanding the water gate be opened under the pretense that she was sending Cleos back to King's Landing with new terms for the Queen. At that point, Jamie fell asleep. One thing Jamie does recall are the vows made prior to the escape and the conditions. They were made under. Cat put the point of Brienne's sword against his chest and made him swear he'd never again take up arms against Stark or Tully, and that he'd convinced Tyrion to return Sansa and Arya in response to Jaime's release. She had him swear on pretty much every family member and every title he holds, and if he didn't swear these vows, she'd have his blood. Jamie picks up on Bree being high-born. She divulges that she's the daughter of Selwyn of Tarth, Lord of Evenfall. He's confused how the daughter of a Baratheon bannerman ended up in the service of Rob Stark, but Bree's had enough talking with such a monster. Citing his violation of his sister, murder of his king, and flinging of an innocent child to his death as evidence of his monstrous nature. Jamie bristles at the tone taken towards Cersei, calling Brienne first a wench, then Lady Brienne, and finally Sir Brienne, comparing her to a cow dressed for battle. That's not going to win him many friends, that kind of talk. No. Cleos tries to broker peace, explaining that Brienne got these false notions from Cat. Since the Starks can't beat Jamie in battle, they'll beat him with lies. And Jamie wonders if Cleos truly believes what he's saying or just buttering Jamie up. When Cleos follows up with a claim that any man who believes a sworn brother of the Kingsguard would harm a child doesn't know the meaning of honor, Jamie has his answer. He's a lickspittle. Jamie's come to regret pushing Bran from the tower, primarily due to the endless grief Cersei gave him over it. She was worried Bran would wake and tell how he fell. Jamie wasn't concerned himself. He said he'd kill Ned and even Robert if need be. Their to- he has previous. Their tour of the Riverlands from the Red Fork shows horrible devastation and destruction. Burned out and abandoned structures litter the banks and there's little human life to speak of. Jamie asks his cousin to shave his head after Brienne rejects Jamie being armed with a dagger to do it himself. He figures he'll be less recognisable with a bald head and scraggly beard and he prefers the anonymity while in irons. The trio come across a burned-out building, still smoldering, and a tree full of hanged women. Brienne is affected by the lack of chivalry in the action, and lands the boat in order to investigate. 
One woman wears a sign reading, They Lay With Lions. The sight makes Jamie smile. This was done by Stark and Tullyside, not his. Cleos recalls that this was once an inn and these tavern wenches. The two men debate who might be responsible. Jonas Bracken and Mark Piper get a mention, as does the always popular answer to every question, Beric Dendarian. Right, very good. Cleos throws out the idea of Roose Bolton's Northmen, and Jamie learns that Bolton now holds Harrenhal. The idea is concerning. It would be trouble if they ran into Bolton's men, and they've got a long way to go through the Riverlands. The conversation is cut short when a sail is spotted. Back to the boat as quick as Jamie can shuffle. They try to outpace the larger boat, but it's futile. The river galley is gaining on them. Jamie figures the boat has 18 to 25 men. He spots Sir Robin Ryger, the river-run captain of the guard, on the prow. Jamie calls out that they were released by Cat as a captive exchange. But Sir Robin responds that Cat Stark does not rule in River Run. A flight of arrows is launched toward the boat, and Bree steers the boat to the far side of an island in the river hiding them from view temporarily due to the high bluff on the northern side. She quickly jumps from the boat, swims to the bluff, and begins to climb. But within moments, the galley comes into view. Jamie distracts the men by offering single combat with Sir Robin, but the old knight says he's tasked with bringing Jamie back alive if possible. The archers prepare to launch more arrows, but before they can, Brienne rolls a huge boulder from the bluff's summit. It breaks apart as it falls, crushing some men, throwing others overboard, and puncturing the hull of the galley. When the little boat pulls away from the sinking galley, Jamie realises he's a double winner. The threat of the ship is gone, as is Brienne. However, she's been running alongside the boat and dies from the high bluff into the water. Jamie considers swinging the oar at her head and killing her. Instead, he reaches it out to her to fish her back into the boat. How sweet. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. Yeah, it looked bad for Jamie at the end of uh, Cat 7, I believe. Yes. That I looked up when we uh, when we did that chapter. It was published February 15th, so that was four months ago to the day because we're recording this wow. in... Uh, on June 15th. You know what? I feel a lot better about not remembering that so much. That's a long time. <laughs> I had to go back and reread how that chapter ended. Here, Here's a quick reminder. So he had been mocking Ned for fathering a bastard, John, obviously, uh, compared, and then he was comparing himself to having never strayed from Cersei. And then he told Kat he wouldn't have sex with her because uh, Littlefinger had had her first. And then he brought up John by name, and that's when Kat asked Brienne for her sword. And it looked like, oh, she's had enough of his mouth. This is bad. So, Well, she had, but she didn't intend to kill him. (laughs) That's right. She just kicked him out. (laughs) Banish him. (laughs) She really wasn't uh, that concerned about getting the girls back at that point. She was just like, well, if I'm going to kick him out of here, I might as well put him to good use. So you, so you have a theory about chapter ones. Well, yeah, I just noticed that, you know, like last chapter, which was the prologue, we compared the Game of Thrones prologue to uh, the both the Game of Thrones prologue, a Clash of Kings prologue, and now our Storm of Swords prologue. And I was thinking you could make some similar comparisons between Jamie 1 and Theon 1, which I don't think Theon 1 was the first chapter of um, a Clash of Kings, but it's is the first chapter for a new POV. Oh, I see. Okay. So, um, you know, in both instances, they were existing characters who were non-POV characters, and now they get their time in the spotlight as POV characters. But, you know, there's some differences. In Theon's case, he was a fairly 
minor kind of backgroundish character up until Clash of Kings. Whereas Jamie, you could make an argument, is public enemy number one. If you if you list the deeds that he's done, pushing Bran out out of the uh, off the tower, attacking Ned and killing his men like uh, Jory Cassell, and uh, he you know nearly got to Rob in the Whispering Wood, the Battle of the Whispering Wood, and uh, you know killed a couple Karstarks, which has Rickard Karstark very angry at him. So it, it's exciting. It, it'd be, it, I'm really looking forward to stepping into his head and seeing what makes Jamie Lannister tick here. Yeah. So you're bringing up Theon 1 made me think about Theon's journey in the last book a little bit. I know we don't really have time for this digression, but um, I, I, I will digress nonetheless. Do it. Because Theon evolved a lot in, uh, what was the last book called? A Clash of Kings. Clash of Kings, yes. I already forgot. Already you you only forgot. said it like 70 times this past year. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, because at the start, I mean, you think about it, his first chapter was him arriving at Pike, right? Yes. And so he was he was Team Stark then, uh-huh. and he was the Theon we knew. And by the end of the book, he was, you know, what he'd become. Right. Which was so different and so... But but then I, I thought about it and I, and I had to give some credits of George Martin it, at the th- that huge arc of change of that person n- it never seemed false or I mean some stupid decisions along the <laughs> way my God but but the actual sort of narrative of it just made sense to me and so so to to have affected that much of a change in one character over the course of a book without it being clunky or oh like, yes unbelievable. Yeah. Well was, put, uh, well put, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, there's similarities there, too, because both characters started it out. I mean, we're only on Jamie 1. We'll see whether he has any kind of similar arc or not. He's going to, to stay Theon the same through. throughout this but, book. Uh, He's not going to change one iota. <laughs> they both start out incredibly full of themselves and arrogant and hard to like. And, uh, you know, we'll see whether... Uh, how that how that works out for Jamie as the story goes along. But it also, you know, what you were talking there made me think about perspective. It's it's an amazing thing, really. I mean, you know, if we were just if we were if if Theon was still a third person character and we were watching him do the things we do that he did, we might be like, this doesn't make any sense. He was good point. He was Rob's yeah. best friend. He would never do this yeah. to him. No, that's an excellent point. Yeah, it, with, without his perspective, none of his story makes any sense. Right. But from his perspective of trying to ingratiate himself with his father, it does. Yeah, it w- will be interesting if, if I mean, obviously, just becoming a POV character gives you a narrative arc because you were just you were just wallpaper until now. Right. And yeah. the wallpaper was portrayed a certain way by the other characters, but now you have a life and you have an inner monologue and even the worst things you've done are justified can be justified oh, at least by you yes right right most people are the stars of their of their own story in their heads yeah yeah so we'll see whether uh you know it'll be, it'll be it's going to be a lot of fun to see whether we can yeah. wrap our heads around who jamie is and why he has done or will do the things that he's done and will do so Jamie's free for the first time in a long time. Oh, yes. I mean, do you have any idea of this? Sorry to throw that at you. Uh, it was, so he was taken captive in the Whispering Wood, which was a cat chapter. That I was... didn't mean chapters, I meant chronologically. How many months has he been uh, I don't. I don't know months-wise, but it's been quite a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. So he must feel now that he's woken up from his alcoholic stupor, he must feel great. I mean, I mean, apart from the fact he's still a captive of sorts, he's seeing the sky. Yes. He's smelling the roses. I, he's he's smelling the burning farms. <laughs> yes, the dead bodies. I think his line is "I'm drunk on sunshine" or something like that. I'm free right. and I'm drunk on sunshine, something right. along those lines. Um, so. It does appear that Catelyn has taken it upon herself to free Jamie without consulting anyone. I mean, the, the fact that this boat is sent after them suggests that yes. this was not a communal decision. <laughs> yes, it does. And um, 
I thought it was good of Jamie to shout back, Catelyn Stark said this was okay. Like She might not have told anyone. She might have told everyone. He must have escaped. <laughs> he was like, he, uh, Sir Robin's like, wait, what? What? <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. Safe travels. She, she does not rule River Run. And, and by the way, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, when... <laughs> When he shouts that, and Robin uh, Rager shout, you know, his retort is that uh, Cat doesn't rule in River Run. That that gives you a pretty good pretty good indication that she went rogue in this situation here. You know, she definitely went rogue, right? Yeah. Um, but this, I mean, these are not these are just uh, Rager is from the Riverlands. We have not yet met a Northern Lord to find out how they feel about it. Oh, but, good point. <laughs> they are not going to be happy. Yes, I, I yes. bring I bring forth Exhibit A, Rickard Carstark, who yes. wanted Jamie dead anyway. Yeah, that's probably not going to go over well. We'll probably yeah. find out, uh, but uh, yeah. looking at it from here, I'm guessing that's not going to go well. So yeah. the question is, what what happened? There's, I, as I was thinking about it, there's basically three options. She changed her mind. Cat changed her mind. Realized maybe she had had a little too much to drink and realized, oh, what have I done? So, Robin, please go fix this mistake for me. Or her well, brother no, Edmure that found can't out. Be it. That can't be it, because Robin would have said, you don't rule here. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, Edmure found out, and he's trying to undo what she did. Or King Rob has returned from the West and was not pleased with that the move his mother made here and um is uh you know trying to recoup the uh Jamie like Edmure be doing we we know that he shot down the Jamie for the girls proposal at the very beginning of a clash of kings like the first cat yeah. chapter so uh and he did it he yeah. said he couldn't do it because his men would <laughs> would uh rise up right. against him if he did something <laughs> like that what he didn't realize was that he was giving his mother permission to go and do it by saying those words. She was like, I see what you want, Rob. All right. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this could be a huge problem for Rob. I mean, his, his army is obviously feeling several strains. I mean, first of all, they've kind of run out of people to fight because basically Tywin has fled the scene. Tywin, right. uh, the Lannisters' other army has been destroyed. They can keep going picking off uh, western towns, but it's not. That's that's more of a Tywin Lannister thing than a Rob Stark thing, um, right? Winter is coming. That's another aspect here. Just a reminder yeah. in case anyone from the North forgets this: the North, more than any other region, has to prepare for that winter. And maybe he could use this uh, this strife that's now been caused to perhaps retreat north with some dignity. That might be a possibility because news has reached them of bre- of. Uh, the fall of Winterfell, right? Yes. It's so, reached Cat. We assume it will, will have reached Rob. We know it reached Cat. Right. Right. So, yeah, it had reached Cat. Exactly. So now he wants to go home. He could perhaps use this because none of the Northern Lords are going to be very happy. If he says, let's go home, they might forgive him, you know? Right. And you, when you're talking about the this strife, you're talking about the two things you just mentioned previously. No, I meant the strife caused by Jamie's release. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you now. So, but anyway, it's trouble for Rob. I mean, I don't oh, yes. I don't like that this has happened for Rob. He's It's going to be very hard to handle Rickard Carstark at all. Yeah, he's already having troubles with Rickard Carstark. Just that the idea of of right. ransoming yes. Jamie. <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. So, the deal that's been struck with, by Cat with Jamie is that he won't fight the Tullys of the Starks anymore and the girls will be freed and sent home. It's not a completely hopeless deal, but Jamie doesn't have any intention of abiding by a vow that was extracted from him at Swordpoint. 
And right. to be fair to Jamie, that's 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 fair. But also, he he's got previous. He doesn't really cling to the vows he makes not at sword point. No. So why would he cling to the ones that are extracted out of him? You know? Couple things about the the vow at, at knife point that you just mentioned, or not knife point, sword point rather. He wonders whether the high septons. He wonders what the high septons take on vows while drunk in chains and at sword point would be, and then he dismisses the high septon as a fraud. I think he calls him a fat fraud. Uh, like, but it seems like the thought stems from him looking for an out to this vow, like, uh, you know. But also, he is he's out of the loop as far as uh, news from King's Landing goes because that High Septon is dead. He died in the right. uh, King's Landing riot. There's been a, a new High right. Septon appointed. So, um, you know. But but it did seem like he he was thinking of this as, well, I have no obligation to this vow. I was drunk in chains and at sword point. Right. And, um, but there's there's also this... There, um, cat kicks. So he remembers cat kicking a, over a bucket, but he doesn't it doesn't really explain why he remembers that image. And that's because the bucket that she kicked over, she said here is something along along the lines of "Here's your honor," and uh, kicked over a, a bucket of uh, feces, human, and yes. <laughs> and uh, you know he he is the king slayer after all. So you know if he he broke that vow. What's what would possibly be holding him to keeping right. this vow? It's basically, I think right. you just made that point a minute ago, which was extorted from him. I mean, you can't argue with right. that. I mean, there was a vow given under duress. I mean, I would free him from this one, and you know, I'm not Team Jamie by any means. Yeah, and she said, if you don't agree to these vows, I'm going to kill you. So right yes, there, you know, right. he didn't have a choice in the matter. Right. <laughs> so. The other, the other reason that this probably can't work, not just because Jamie is being uh, dishonest, is also the fact that Catelyn is really putting her faith in Tyrion on the other end of the deal. Right. Uh, little suspecting that basically Tyrion is out of power. Uh, yes. That right. Catelyn's demands are going to reach the entirely unsympathetic ears of Tywin Lannister, who is not going to care one iota what either of his sons has promised. You know? Yeah, I was actually, I, I was going to ask you, what you thought would happen if Jamie shows up and demands the girls be sent to River Run with Tywin in charge? Well, the I, I would say Tywin will squeeze the girls as much as he possibly can to get what he can out of the North. Because he's only got one of them, this is the slightly interesting thing, Catelyn is unaware that Arya is not captive. Right. He might manipulate a little bit and say, I'll send Sansa home now, I'll send Arya home when you guys are north of the neck and have bent the knee. Right. Yes. And of course, there, <laughs> there is no Arya to send back. Right. Oh, the problem with that, of course, is Sansa knows. Sansa knows that. Well, Sansa doesn't know necessarily where Arya is. She just knows she's not seen her. Yeah. But she doesn't know yeah, she's yeah, escaped. Yeah. They could have her in a dungeon for all Sansa knows. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's you know... The the note at the front of this book that we talked about in the in the prologue, yep. it makes a little more sense now in this chapter because this escape is happening at the same time as the Battle of the Blackwater. Otherwise, news might have spread that Tywin is in control of King's Landing and totally changed Kat's decision here. Good point. Good point. Good point. Although, of course, in reality, ravens don't fly fast enough for that to have been the case. But yes. Right. Yep. <laughs> I guess it depends on how long after the battle she yeah. decides to do this. <laughs> uh, unless, of course, the Lannisters confidently sent the, the ravens like a week before the battle. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do believe that Tyrion would have stuck to the spirit of the deal. Um, he would know that she sent him the biggest gift she possibly could, and the least he could do is send back Sansa. But Yeah. Uh, well, he told Sansa he was going to send her back as soon as his brother stopped fighting, right? I think that was the stipulation. Like, right, right. And, you know, there there's no longer a plan for for Sansa to marry Joffrey. He's going to marry Marjorie Tyrell now. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, would make sense. Yeah, so this, this could all fall into place. Because, like I say, one option for Rob is to just withdraw, you know, just to go back north with the troops. And right. 
so that fulfills that aspect of this for Tyrion, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's no longer fighting us, you know? Yeah, especially with the, the strife going on in in the North. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not just Winterfell that's dealing with it. Yeah. So the presence of Cleos Frey in the boat is quite interesting. As ever, the Freys live close to the fulcrum of things. They don't like to be out on the limb. Not so much, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like... Typical of that is Cleos' behavior in the boat. He's obviously he's Team Jamie, but he can't help but defend Brienne every time Jamie says something mean to her. Yes, right. Yeah, he really he he did seem to try and keep the peace. Uh, yes, a few times he mentioned, you know, like, hey, just cool it, Jamie, with your insults and your barbs. But you know, speaking of of Cleos, just because we got a lot of characters going on here. Jamie mentions that Cleos is the son of his aunt, Jenna Lannister. And yeah. so Cleos is Jenna and Emin Frey's oldest son. Tion Frey is one of his younger brothers. He is also a captive. And then he's got two other brothers, Lionel and Walter. Tion has come up a few, uh, his name's come up a few times because it was proposed that Tion and Willem be traded for Sansa and Arya and Rob proposed that, and Tyrion promptly rejected that. Now, of course, Jamie is a much Jamie is a whale compared to the uh, <laughs> the, the trout that would be Tion and Willem. <laughs> but uh, also, he mentions that Aemon Frey, who is uh, Cleos's father, has been terrified of Tywin since he wed Jenna Lannister, Tywin's younger right. sister. And what that's uh, alluding to is. When Jenna and Tywin's father, Titus, agreed to this betrothal between Emin and Jenna, when 10-year-old Tywin found out, he felt that Emin and the phrase in general were beneath Jenna and his family, and he threw an almighty fit about it. And Jenna was grateful that at least one person came to her defense over this wedding match here. But apparently that scared Emin enough, and he's been terrified of Tywin ever since. Good to know. We get Jamie's thoughts on pushing Bran out of the window. Um, Cersei seems to blame Jamie for overreacting to the situation. Yes. Um, but he then goes on to think that she was more nervous than him about brand waking up his his point of view of this was like ours a child who wakes up from a traumatic fall you can say whatever he says is just a dream right but cersei was very worried about it so he actually believes that whilst she was criticizing jamie for overreacting he thinks she she was capable of sending the assassin to finish the job which isn't a great thing to think about your true love. <laughs> true, that's true. <laughs> yes, she. he does think it's possible that Cersei could have hired the man, but he's surprised, Jamie was surprised, that it, and it seemed like maybe even a little hurt that she didn't send him to do it if she was the one that hired this cat's paw. But she, he also... He's unsure. He doesn't know. Like, we, we now know that Jamie himself doesn't know yeah. uh, it, whether or not uh, Cersei was the one who sent the cat's paw. From reading it, I, I get the feeling if he was pressed, he would say she didn't do it. Right. But he feels that she was certainly capable, capable. of it. Right, yes. Yeah. I, just, I found it interesting that he doesn't know. So if it was yeah. Jamie, I mean, if it was Cersei, you'd think she might have told Jamie what she did. Mm. Right, why would she keep that from him? It's not like she's doing much worse than Jamie himself did. Right. So it, yeah. it's almost, him not knowing is almost like, huh, so maybe it wasn't Cersei, you know? Yeah. And that also goes to when Cersei talked to Ned Stark. She denied, she admitted to every crime under the sun, right. but not that one. She denied Not that one, one and not killing yeah. John Aaron. Those right, are the two right. she did not Those cop to she, at all. Everything yeah. else you could possibly imagine yeah. she was guilty of everything and she else, coped to it. Yeah, everything else which would have cost her, her life multiple times over, right. she coped to. But the, those two which, frankly, wouldn't have cost her her life, she but, denied. But you're right. So, yeah, I think she's innocent of it. Yeah, it, it certainly... The fact that Jamie doesn't know gives credence to that possibility. 
But but I think you're right. I think one of the most fascinating parts about this chapter being a Jamie POV is getting his thoughts on the brand push off the tower. And one of the things that I found in, you know, rather, I hate using, I use the word interesting too much. I was trying to think of another word to use, but I'll just say I found it interesting. Um, is that he's had nothing but time in his cell here to reflect on that deed. And the best remorse he can come up with was that he's, he's, uh, he ruse doing it because Cersei gave him grief over it. Right. Yes. It, yes. It's not like that, he was that... down there thinking, uh, I could have killed. I tried to kill a young child. He was like, Oh, I wish I hadn't done it. Cause she just wouldn't stop nagging me about it. Yeah, no. and that that really goes to the sort of sociopathy of both these twins, really. That that you could be that callously indifferent to the, what you did. You you could imagine in the heat of the moment, or having analyzed the situation, doing the act, right. you'd at least feel bad for bad about doing it, right? Other than for the fact that you got into trouble for doing it. Yeah, and you know, it also it it makes the um you know before he pushed Bran out, he said the things I do for love, and he pushed Bran out. It takes on a bit of a different tone when you hear it from Jamie's perspective because without his POV, it seemed he meant that he did it to protect his sister's honor for the love that he bore her. Like, I'm going to protect you. The, this doesn't come out that we're having an incestuous relationship. So I'm going to kill this boy, this seven-year-old boy. But as we find out in this chapter, he mostly just did it because... He was feeling randy after a long travel from King's Landing to Winterfell and wanted to get back to business with Cersei. <laughs> that was that was well, he said I only just wanted an hour with Cersei. It was a long <laughs> difficult travel uh, trip and uh you know he had to watch drunk Robert stumble into her bed every night and uh so yeah really the things he does for love, he meant quite literally. He wanted to get back to the lovemaking, <laughs> it seems like. So he he begins the journey trying to be gentle with Brie, but he soon starts goading her. Um, he calls her Lady Brienne. He sees a bristle. He starts on the fact she looks like a man. He calls her Sir Brienne. She, she is... Brienne is a tough cookie, and she just lets all this wash over her. Perhaps a lifetime of it has... Inured her to. I'm it. nodding um, vociferously over here. I yes, yeah. I agree that I'm guessing that's not the first time she's heard such remarks when, when yeah. you are the you know the, when you buck the traditional stereotype of a you know, in such a culture, I'm sure she hears it quite frequently. Yeah, the only time she actually bridles really is to when he criticizes Tarth. <laughs> he calls it dreary, and so that then she gets uppity about it. So. The only time she sort of loses focus from the job in hand is when she sees the women hanging from the trees and she actually pulls up. Um, it seems like it's fairly recent because it's said that the, the crows had scarcely started on the corpses and the nearby building was still smoldering. Yeah, yeah. And she she thinks she's so offended by this because she thinks hanging women's bodies doesn't show true knighthood. And Jamie retorts, True knights see and do worse things in every battle that they fight, and you know it kind of rem- it was kind of reminded me that despite her obvious prowess as a fighter, we watched her win the great melee at Bitterbridge when uh, King Renly was uh, watching over them, and uh, but she I don't believe she's been in any actual battles to this point, so. You know, she's still naive to the realities of war. And we saw that firsthand in Tyrion's POV during the Battle of the Blackwater. There wasn't a whole lot of chivalry going on uh, when he was out there fighting for his life, basically. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'll say is it, it, you don't need to have seen battle to know the truth about knights. You know, I mean, True. she her her view of knights is kind of similar to Sansa's and Sansa's was because she was a child. Yes. And now Sansa has lived a little bit. She knows it's nonsense and doesn't make any sense. You'd think that Brienne had seen enough of the world to know that 
your typical knight was absolutely no better than your typical man. Yes, that is a solid point, especially being in King Renly's uh, retinue. Right. He, she should have been exposed to plenty of knights and pr- should have seen that a lot of them were yeah. not necessarily chivalrous. But I think I think trying to project onto Brienne what I think, I wonder if it's because she herself embodies the exactly the the things that a knight should embody and because Absolutely. other knights don't live up to it she can't really see that she misses the point of that she she thinks they just lapsed briefly they are like i am but she's the outlier here not yeah, them that could very well be possible yeah because in her heart we don't have a Bri- uh, brienne pov here right but in her heart she thinks this is how you be a knight i find it actually i find it a little bit ironic that there's two knights in this boat, and one of them is not Brienne. You know, Sir, right. Sir Cleos <laughs> is a knight, which is a little bit silly. I wonder how he managed to get that knighthood. <laughs> so, but uh, so so Jamie notices that the the women there's a a lot of women hung up in this tree, and uh, one of them has a knight that said they a sign that said they laid with lions, and he smiles at this, which I found. Rather distasteful. Well, well, I mean, it's distasteful, but I mean, it, it's a win for him. The yeah. fact that it was the fact that it wasn't his side that did this, right? Yes, that's exactly why he smiled, rubbing in Brienne's face that it wasn't yeah. his side; it was her side who did this unchivalrous act here. And and then Jamie Jamie speculates that the women were hung by Jonas Bracken. He's um, he's a, a lord and. Uh, if he says my father burned his castle, and actually it was the mountain that burned Stonehenge, which is uh, House Bracken's seat. But then Jonas retook the castle, or I guess what remained of the castle, after River Run was freed in the Battle of the Camps. But um, also, if this is Bracken lands, which like he says it is, it gives us a, a rough idea of where they are uh, on the map, and it's not very far from River Run. They haven't made it very far, but it is only day one. So, you know, and this is a, a rather lazy river. He mentions that there's a lot of twists and turns and, you know, it's a, a slow, wide flow, a, a wide, slow flowing river. So uh, I guess I'm not surprised. And they've only got a little, uh, a little sail and mostly Brienne's arm strength to keep them going. <laughs> it may not have been Jonas Brackett, of course, because we're not too terribly far from uh, Harrenhal, so it could have been Roose Bolton sending out the uh, brave companions to root out Lannisters, uh, returning to the places that were visited under Tywin, and found those who helped them. We already know about this, that they, they because the brave companions themselves switched sides, they know exactly who the yep. uh, Lannister collaborators were. Yes, they do. Because so, they paid the out. collaborators the first <laughs> <Right>. time. <laughs> and Arya said they came back sometimes with bags of silver and heads. <laughs> right. So they just retook the silver they paid these people and their heads, which is terrible. And of course, Mark Piper and Beric Dondarrion also are suggested in... That, of course, is if Beric Dondarrion is still alive. It depends on which day of the week it is. We, we don't right, know, yeah. really. And uh, Mark Piper, he's been around. We've been hearing his name since Ned sat the Iron Throne that day when Robert was hunting. Mark Piper was one of the knights that was there. So, uh, you know, don't know who it is. But um, if, if I were betting, I would put money on the Brave Companions since it seems like something they would do. Yes, good point. So, um, Jamie cuts his hair off. It may have just been a ruse to try and get hold of a knife, but um, he follows through with it and has all his hair cut off. Um, and interestingly, he does make the point that it's because he'd be ashamed to be spotted manacled. But the real danger would be yeah. being recognised as Jamie Lannister. I mean, so there are two reasons for doing it. One is to conceal the fact that you're Jamie Lannister and this would definitely help but then he has this sort of like internal thing of like I don't want people to see me like this and right. recognize me like this yes and it's like that doesn't matter <laughs> fleeing from you, you know I I I agree I was wondering what his motive was really here too he says it was because you know because of the two reasons you just mentioned but 
at this point, when he shaves his head or has Sir Cleos shave his head, he doesn't know that his father has lost Harrenhal. He thinks oh, this is point. still Lannister lands. And right. so I was thinking, is he, is he, is he, is his pride getting uh, above his, what's in best interest for him? Because if they do come across Lannister men, Lannister men could probably free him. There's only one Brienne, as long as there's a, you know, a, a lot of Lannister men, more than just like two or three, they very well could free him if he looks and they believe that he is Jamie Lannister. But when he shaves yeah. his head to to uh, go incognito and he says, no, I'm Jamie Lannister, they'll be like, no, you're not. You're not Jamie yeah. Lannister. <laughs> Let me see some ID. <laughs> but of course, I mean, the one thing is, being born to it, he would have a natural authority that probably would make the few Lannisters go... Wait a minute, let's take him to his father to find out. Right, he might just be. We don't want to be wrong here. <laughs> right. So the uh, but... devastation of the Riverlands is on full display. There's nothing to see but empty, burned-out dwellings, dead bodies, a lone girl, a few men digging in a field. They all run at the sight of anybody. Uh, the Riverland has borne the brunt of this war, and they weren't really involved. They, they, they've just become the venue for it. Yep, it's really... I feel for the people of the Riverlands more than anyone else in this story. I feel for the people of the Riverlands who had nothing to do with the start of this war, which is the case probably in most wars. You know, it's the yeah. just the people yeah. that bear the the biggest uh, brunt of it all. Yeah. So they start. Brienne starts to cut down the um, the bodies of the the women that Sir Cleos realizes are tavern wenches from the tavern. That used to stand there. And she sees a sail. And she says, hurry, back to the back to the boat we go. But they can't outrun what Jamie describes as a river galley. He says there's, um, I think there's 18 oars. And they've got one and a half oars. And uh, so, you know, the problem really that... The whole crux of the issue is that Cat had no authority in River Run to prevent this from happening. And this is exactly what was going to happen if she didn't have the authority to stop it. I guess she was hoping that no one would find out for a while to give right. them a few days head start, which apparently a wasn't days the case. Head start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what she was hoping for. Yeah. There's not a lot to um, say about the fight itself, about the, the uh, chase. Apart from Brienne once again shows her expertise. I mean, that was they were seriously outgunned and outmanned, yeah. and she single-handedly won it for them. Yes. By smarts and strength right yeah absolutely that's a good point but so at the end of the chapter uh jamie saves brienne rather than kills her he does it twice in fact when she's climbing this bluff he realizes those archers are going to spot her and and feather her with arrows uh you know as soon as they see her so he distracts them by shouting a proposal of a (laughs) Single it was Catelyn Stark. <laughs> yeah. He, he proposed a single combat with uh, Robin Ryger, and of course, Robin Ryger rejects it. And then, uh, but it gave Jay, it gave that, you know, back and forth, that banter gave Brienne enough time to get up to the, the top of the bluff. But then at the very end of the chapter, he saves her what he thinks about hitting her with an oar and either drowning her or knocking her senseless so that they can escape or killing her or whatever. But instead he reaches the oar out and fishes her back into the boat. And is that a sign that there's some good in him somewhere? Or yeah. is it uh, other motive? The first one you could put down to self-preservation, but the second one is selfless in that he could have got rid of her at that point. The yes. first one, he needed her to climb that bluff and win the battle for them. You know, Right. Otherwise he was going back to the dungeon at best. Yeah, and, um, you know, he doesn't... You could make the argument Brienne is his best chance of survival because yeah. she's a, a, she's not shackled and she is a, apparently a very good fighter from what uh, limited action we've seen her in. But they're also both headed in the same direction, you know? Like, her mission is to get him home. Yeah. So there's yeah. no necessarily... kill him. You know, yeah. she's not taking him to a dungeon she's helping him get freed so you know anyway the very last line brienne uh says he's he he says uh i guess you expect me to 
thank you or something like that. And she says, I don't want your thanks. I swore an oath to bring you safely to King's Landing. And she said, he thinks, or he says actually, and you mean to keep it. Now there's a wonder. And you know, I missed that until my very last reread. I think it was this, uh, this morning. And, uh, I realized, oh, he's saying like, look at this, a person who actually means to keep their oath. What (laughs) a crazy idea that is. (laughs) And, uh, so it, it's certainly a good indication of his intentions, uh, whether uh, or not he plans to keep the vow to Cat. Oh, uh, maybe a lesson for him, you know, maybe the fact that maybe Brienne's example will rub off on him. Maybe, yeah, yeah. All right, do you have some background for us? I gathered up a little bit of background. So back in Cat 5 of A Clash of Kings, I did some background on several of the new characters Cat met. That was when she first arrived at River Run, Run with Brienne after uh, visiting with the Baratheon brothers that did not go very well. And I stopped short of discussing Robin Ragger due to time constraints, which works out well for this chapter because I didn't have a lot of other options to go with. So let's find out a bit more about uh, Sir Robin in House Ragger. Well, as is mentioned in this chapter, he is the captain of guard for River Run, and he's been so for quite a while as... Uh, Jamie puts it, he's of an age with Hoster, who is in his early 60s. So, you know, the, uh, I assume Robin Riger is late 50s to uh, early to mid 60s as well. There's really not much additional information on him. So now let's take a look at House Riger, which is a noble house of the Riverlands and one of the key bannermen to the Tullys. Their seat is called Willowwood and there's no mention of a location of Willowwood, so I <laughs> I don't know where it's located, but it's the the house's sigil is a green willow tree on white. And uh, here's an interesting fact about the Rigers: during Robert's rebellion, House Riger didn't follow their lord paramount Hoster Tully in backing Robert. Instead, they stayed loyal to the Targaryens, which is a bit surprising considering Robin would have been the captain of Hoster's guard back then as well, you'd imagine, if he's been so for quite a while. Huh. So it got me wondering, might Willowwood be near Derry? Because that's another Riverlands house that uh, also stayed uh, loyal to King Aerys II during the Robert's Rebellion. Interesting. Could be totally have nothing to do with Derry, but, you know, maybe there were influenced yeah. by the Derrys in some way. Right. Or all the way around. And, and, and- yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. And and surprising that he all was forgiven afterwards. Although, I mean, Hoster Tully is not Tywin Lannister. True. Yes. Oh, sorry. You know, I but, should say Stannis Baratheon. Yes. Uh, you know, the Darys were affected pretty... They were hit pretty severely with punishment. So maybe that's why Willow Wood doesn't have a location. <laughs> it's just a castle. No lands. <laughs> So, comparison with the television show, so Cleos Frey is dead in the show. He was murdered by Jamie in a failed escape attempt earlier. So, this scene is just Brienne and Jamie. The pursuit part is dropped. Uh, so, in order to give the scene some jeopardy and excitement, three soldiers who murdered the women happen upon Brienne and Jamie as they're cutting them down. Uh, one of them actually recognizes Jamie for who he is. And then Brienne breaks bad on all three of them and kills them all to Jamie's wide-eyed amazement because he's still <laughs> bound and can't do anything to help. So he just has to watch. Right. So you get the same kind of thing. You know, Brienne is there and she, you, I mean, she has the same kind of line. You know, I, I, you don't have to thank me. I'm taking you to King's Landing. I made a promise, you know. So, right. So uh, it, it captures the, the flavor of the story without the whole river pursuit, which probably would have been a pain to film. Yeah, I do like the presence of Sir Cleos, though. I like the I like there being a trio instead of a duo. I I do too. I do too. And his murder was always a bit weird because it, it I don't it was to it was to help Jamie escape, but it didn't really explain how it helped him to escape. As I remember, <laughs> he murdered him and then he was escaped. You know? I vaguely remember that scene. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Pedantry. Um, if you die from a cliff into a river. That's pretty dangerous. Ah, uh, yes, it is. Uh, I mean, yes, it is. I know Brienne is pretty mu- badass, but that's pretty dangerous. Uh, so let's assume the river is deep enough that you don't kill yourself in the dive. Your armor is going to weigh you down. It's going to be hard to swim in armor. Yeah, she definitely has yeah. some. Armor. Even if she's wearing a leather jerkin, 
Yeah. You know, that, that would get really heavy really fast. It's just a no-win situation for me, though. Yeah. <laughs> she needed to jump into the boat. <laughs> That's what she <laughs> needed to do. I was... I had a... You know, again, this is a character decision. So, um, you know, we... Uh, no, I know what you're going to say. It's pure pedantry. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Robin, <laughs> so Robin Riger says to Jamie, "I'm like this is seriously one sentence to the next sentence. I'm supposed to bring you back alive, if possible, as a reason why he won't fight Jamie." And then, in the very after the period that ends that sentence, the very next words are archers ready, set. And he's about to say loose when the boulders fall. And I was like, but what? Have, have you seen Mars Attacks? I have, yes. Remember the, the Martians would say, we come in peace. And then they would shoot everyone in their path. They, they just had these stock phrases they threw out like, we come in peace. Yeah, I thought that that doesn't fit. I don't know how that fits. Yeah. News and notes. So... Tomorrow, we're going to host a live chat session, right, with our Lord Paramount and uh, Royal Kingsguard members of the of our Buy Me A Coffee site. That's right. Well, tomorrow for us right now. By the time people us. are listening yes. to this, it'll have it'll already been happened. In the past. Yes, that's true. Yes. Well, I'm excited about it anyway. I am too. It should be a lot of fun. I, I hope yeah. that uh, more of you will uh, come join us soon on these chats. Yeah. Go check out our Buy Me a Coffee site and uh, check out the details. We have a lot of fun on these. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, this this will be our second one, right? But the first one, I, I mean, I just fell in love with uh, with those guys. Yeah, know? yeah. I, I had so much fun. It, it was funny because we have a time limit. And as the time was ticking down, you <laughs> realized there was a time limit. I was like just in the middle of talking. And then all of a sudden it went... Boom. <laughs> it was in gone. a surprise to no one, McKelly was blathering on yeah. and the time expired. Perfect ending. That's that's a perfect ending to it. How else would it have ended? Uh, but in other news, we got some good news for those of you hoping to strut around your house like Egg on the Conqueror. Jalik Blades, known for creating amazing replica swords from the A Song of Ice and Fire world, is taking pre-orders for their replica of Blackfire. The sword wielded by none other than Aegon the Conqueror himself, along with many of his heirs. It's one of the most famous swords in all of Westeros, whose current whereabouts is yet unknown. Now, these replicas even have the backing of George Martin himself, as the design closely replicates what Martin has envisioned in his own head. So that's pretty neat. The first limited edition version will be made with stainless steel. However, at some point, the company plans to roll out an even more exclusive version made from Damascus steel, which is pretty much the closest thing we have in this world to Valerian steel. So, But we'll all get a look at the sword soon, as Blackfire is featured in House of the Dragon. So we'll get an idea Sorry. of what the sword will look like, I guess. Yep. All right, let's draw a conclusion. It's always exciting to have a new POV character, especially one like Jamie, who's been such a significant player and has insights that none of our other POVs, well, none of our other current POVs can offer. Right. Yes. And, I'm very excited and, about this. Yeah. I, I say current because maybe we'll, maybe Cersei will be a POV one day and she could offer us the other side of the equation of that's most interesting to me yes. right here. As twins often do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, he doesn't. De- he is such an interesting character already because he doesn't deny his own parts in Bran's fall, and is callously indifferent to the fact that it was the attempted murder of a child. Um, but yeah. he does also. He's he's very comfortable owning up to his own actions. Uh-huh. The word Kingslayer bothers him, but he doesn't seem to waste his breath defending himself. Right. Like uh, yes, if I exactly. was him. With his backstory, every time someone called me a Kingslayer, I'd be like, here is my script about Mad King Aerys. Read that <laughs> Just and read tell it. me what I should have done. You know? They didn't call him Mad King because he was mad cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I thought this chapter was a good baseline for Jamie in our lives because, you know, he, it just, we get an idea of who Jamie is right now. 
You know, he began to rue pushing Bran out the window because of Cer- Cersei's grief, not because of the fact that he tried to kill a seven-year-old boy. We saw yeah. him smiling at the sign on the women. He said awful things to Brienne. He laughed at two of the men fell off the galley after the boulder hit it, and uh, it was clear they couldn't swim and they were drowning, and he laughed at that. You know, it's... um. We saw how, like we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, episode, we saw how Theon evolved or devolved, whichever way you want to go with that, in A Clash of King. And it'll be intriguing to see what Jamie's story arc is going to be like here in Storm of Swords. I thought of another parallel, actually. The, the, both of them, their, their story arc was them leaving Riverrun by watercraft. Oh. Uh-huh. On the way back to see their father. Right. Oh, yes. Good point. I wonder if so, um if Jamie will get Brienne pregnant like Theon thought he got the um the captain's daughter <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> let's let's not rule it out. So he has a he has a fair, shall we say, opinion of his sister. Uh-huh. He loves her to- totally, but both appropriately and inappropriately. True, and, true. But he also believes her capable of ordering cold-blooded child murder. That they are twins. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I you know, I find it fascinating that this person, Jamie Lannister, of all the Lannisters, showed Tyrion love and kindness as a child. We've not seen any evidence of that kind of thing yet except for that he he seems to love his family. No doubt about that. He really th- seems to love his family. It. Maybe that's it. Maybe he loves his father too. Yeah. I we'll, we'll maybe if they get back to King's Landing, it'd be interesting yeah. to see if uh if that is the case, but yeah, yeah just we haven't seen that side of him since uh, we've been in his head. This one chapter here wasn't a lot of you get the idea that this is the kind of guy that will show love and kindness to someone who needs it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that it's the problem we're trying to extrapolate from small amounts of data, you know? Yes. We, we have the other data point, which says he definitely did was friendly and kind to Tyrion. So. Right. Let's let's see if uh, eventually we join these two dots together. Right. I like it. So Brienne might have the fighting chops needed to get them all the way to King's Landing. I mean, certainly round one has gone to her. But ultimately, will that help the stars? It's certainly uh-huh. going to give Rob a huge headache when he finds out. I mean, like, like you say, he might have arrived back in Riverrun, but he, we think this is the next day. Right. Yeah. yeah. And she, he wasn't there <laughs> last night, so... Chances are this is the jailer went, hey, he's missing, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, it said that there was, Jamie remembered there was a problem with the jailer, but Brienne overpowered him or something. So, it, right. you know, it might have been that scuffle or someone came down to feed Jamie. Yeah. But or someone came down to feed Jamie and it was the jailer in the, in the cell. <laughs> yes, that could be it. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems, un- to answer your question, it seems unlikely that, this will help the Starks a great deal. Like yeah. you, you had mentioned maybe if Tyrion was still in power, maybe even if Cersei was in power, if if Jaime was, you know, passionate about enough about this, maybe he could convince Cersei. But with Tywin, good luck with that. Yeah, actually, Cersei possibly because I think Cersei will be so grateful to see Jaime again that she probably would give up both the girls. If she had them both. Right. (laughs) I hadn't forgotten, just to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it's still a long way to go through the worst war-torn region of the realm. And, you know, this boat only takes them so far. The the trident eventually spills into the Bay of Crabs, uh, which is kind of near the Inn at the Crossroads. So then they'll have to take the... King's Road or, King's Road, you know, yeah. go off-roading from there. Yeah. So uh, they've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, he did... He didn't save Brienne twice, but he did fail to kill her twice when he had the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah. Is it because he's good and kind, or is it because he sees her as his best chance of survival? Exactly. Or is it both of those things? Yes, there's definitely evidence to support both. Yeah. And but uh, you know what's going to happen to Cat? 
If it was anyone but the king's mother, you would assume that they would be clapped in irons. And yes. Perhaps lose their life for this. Yeah, it's uh, he. She's going to be awfully thankful that <laughs> her son is the is King Rob, not just right. Lord Rob or something, you know. Right. But of course, um, we'll find out next week because guess what? It's a cat what? chapter. Is it? I hadn't looked ahead. We're we're heading to a cat chapter next week, so this could be very interesting. So this this will be the new use of Jamie's cell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there are three ways that you can help us. You could leave a review that helps to spread the word. You could buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com or you could buy us an arbor gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall.com or you could become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of a Realm level. Either would be most welcome. Absolutely. And and then, you know, if you join us the Lord Paramount level, you can uh, come hang out with come. us on our live chats. We would love that. Absolutely. And, of course, you can reach us at ghost.heronhall at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ghostheronhall. We are out on Facebook. We're on Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.